I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Now today my guest... He's been a guest of mine before, is Dean Jones, and he's the co-founder and CEO of fashion rental business, Glam Corner. They started in 2012, renting high-end ball gowns for a fraction of the price that they would normally sell for. They've grown to thousands and thousands of users, and they're very, very popular. And in the last six months, Glam Corner has now launched a subscription service. Customers pay a monthly fee to get sent three items of clothing that they can return and swap at any time throughout the month. Sounds like a great way to update your wardrobe without adding to what you throw away and for a much cheaper price. And by the way, it is environmentally friendly when you consider how much clothing gets dumped in this country every year. I have met Dean before, as I said, and he was a guest on one of the pitch episodes of my podcast nearly three years ago. And the Glam Corner business has now grown. I'm really happy to see how much has grown and it's changed so much, I just can't wait to dig into it further. So let's get into it. Dean Jones, welcome to The Mentor. Mark, mate, thanks for having me. It's good to be, uh, good to, good to be, be back. back. We won't call The Mentor then, I don't think that. No, I think it was an earlier, earlier version. Call The Mike Borshaw in those days. That's it. Righto, mate. Um, Glam Corner. That's us. Tell me about it. How did you get started? What's the deal? You and your wife? Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my wife, uh, Audrey and I founded this business about six, seven years ago when we realized that the average Australian woman really only wears about one third of what's in her wardrobe. The other two thirds is this kind of stockpile of items that she had purchased for a single event uh, and then never wore it again, which was to us, it just seemed like a really bad deal. And so we looked, you know, we looked around, um, and we're thinking and saw a lot of different businesses, particularly in the sharing economy, that were solving this exact problem in different ways. You know, um, ride sharing, house sharing, streaming your music, and basically only paying for what you use. And we said, well, you know, why couldn't that apply to people's wardrobes as well? And so, yeah, the initial idea started with having a wardrobe that we thought if you let a certain amount of customers come in and share that wardrobe and only pay for what they use, that could solve a real problem for people. Yeah, it's, I, I like these sharing economies and sort of what you've really built as a, oh, I, I guess it, we're, we're oversimplifying things here too, to some extent, because clearly what you've had to do, if you have to work out how to go and buy what people want to wear, uh, it's not just women, is it women or men as well? Oh, it's, it's women's only, women. correct. Okay. Yeah. So you've got to go and work out what women want to wear. Um, so that means you've got to be a good buyer. Mm. So you've got to buy the stuff and then you've got to tell them what you've got. So you've got to build up a marketplace yep. so they can see what you've got. And then you've got to um, market, market to these individuals and then you've got to deliver. Um, the delivery part's probably not that, not that difficult. So is this online, all online, or is it physical? 
outcome. Purely online business. Yep, direct. Purely online. So tell me about how, well, first and foremost, what's your background? So my background's in finance, so not in fashion. Same with my wife and co-founder, Audrey. She was from the financial planning industry. Right, okay. So we're not from the fashion industry. Right. Um, it's funny though, the business, when you look at the balance sheet and the P&L, it's fundamentally an asset leasing business. So in terms of merchandising, we run it the same way. You've got to buy the right assets. You've got to make sure they're going to last a long time. Um, that merchandising function has gotten increasingly more data-driven as well, making sure we're buying what customers are looking for. Um, and taking a lot of the guesswork out of that part of the fashion cycle, um, which is great for us as business, also fantastic for the end consumer. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, you're right. You, you, you're actually, you've actually built a leasing business. Um, you know, it's no different to leasing cars or tractors or whatever else. People lease you know, desks. I mean, you can lease all sorts of things these days to operate in a business. And each of these individuals that, who are your subscribers and or customers, um, basically part of their... Well, they're part of their plant and equipment or their inventory is what they wear to work. Exactly. For example, and most of us work every day. So a lot of the clothes you're, working, you're renting are work clothes, are they? Yeah, exactly. As well as, you know, other stuff. Eventsy stuff, birthdays, the, se- the seventh wedding you've got to go to this year. Yeah. Anywhere we can remove the burden of ownership for our customer and allow her to be a bit more now adventurous with her style because instead of buying for work kind of blacks and greys and car keys, which are a good value if you know you're going to use them a lot, um, now that we've removed that burden of ownership, suddenly we're seeing a lot more bright colours, prints and other styles that actually allows our customer to, you know, really, really kind of find her personal style. So what happens like, um, I want to go back and talk to you about you in a moment, but what, I'm just curious, uh, what happens, um, I, let's say I'm a female and I get on there and I buy whatever it is, something bright, um, I buy it, uh, I rent it I should say, and uh, do I wash it and do I have it for a month or... Yeah. How's it work? Uh, so we wash everything. So uh, we can ship everything to customers and back within 24 hours. Pre- you can only pre- wear it once? Oh, when, when you've got it on subscription, you can wear it as much as you like. But we, we, we insist, look, let us wash it. We're better at it. If you want to have it washed, send it back to us. We'll send you something new. Right. Um, we actually have had to build our own in-house laundromat. We're cleaning about 30 tons a month. It's, good, it's a good-sized laundromat. Um, it's a full wet care facility that can, you know, it's, it's very environmentally friendly and takes really good care of the garments. Um so yeah, you, you, there's no no burden of having to wash it. All the all the bad parts about owning clothing, we're trying to take that away from customers. So yeah. I, effectively, uh, I go on there and I rent a colourful dress and I wear it tomorrow afternoon to either a cocktail party or wear it to the office, whatever I decide to do, and then I just put it back in a bag and a box, whatever it is, and I send it back to you. Exactly, it comes with a prepaid return satchel. You just put it in the post box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and um, and that's it. I don't, have to, I don't even have to think about it. So I basically just drop it on the floor. Spotify, so Spot, yeah, Spotify for your wardrobe. So it's like the old, um, I don't know if everyone probably remembers it when I was 18 or 19 and I might have had to go to a formal. I went and rented a suit, dinner suit. And uh, what was it? Well, I can't remember what those things were called. Then um, I get you after darker from someone Parker. There used to be an old saying, you know, Gary Parker. Get your ring, after that's darker. got a ring to it. <laughs> get your after darker from Brett Parker. That's what it was. Get your after darker from Brett Parker. Brett Parker was a... A dinner suit hire company, and of course, you know, we couldn't afford to uh, buy a dinner suit, and we'd never buy one because you don't ever wear it once in your life. Mm. I soon remember lots of blokes used to vomit on these things, etc. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so of course, it was usually the first formal you ever went to when you were 18, 19, and <laughs> the first time you ever really drank a lot. Um, yeah, get your after darker from Brett Parker. I remember that. That's cool. Yeah. So, okay, so I, I got the general gist of it. We'll get, we'll get into more into detail a bit later and how all the various parts or functions of your business work. But I think for people listening to this, we need to go back a few steps and um, ask you, Dean, 
But and people like to know, wow, here's a guy who's with a financial planning background is now running a business. Um, so take me back to when you were a kid. What is it do you think that initiated your sense of um, being creative and going and, and getting involved in these businesses? Was it your family? Was it your education? Or was it your schooling? Or is it on your stamped on your DNA? Or, or what is it? How does it work? What, what did you what, what did you look like? What did Dean look like when he was say fifteen or sixteen? Yeah, well, he didn't look very good. That's why he didn't have a girlfriend. But um, <laughs> I think when I, when I it's, a, it's a really deep question, Mark. I think um, what kind of dive in, mate? Yeah, what kind of <laughs> what kind of bred a sense in me to kind of give it a crack? And mm. if you see an opportunity, to to take it. Mm. Um, I think I'm lucky, you know. Um. Yeah, I've come from a pretty working class family. My mother was a nurse, which is some of the hardest working people on the planet. So any nurses out there, anyone who knows a nurse needs to know they're a very special person. Mm. Um, and then to my dad, who built his own business, which is a software business from the ground up as well. And I saw firsthand how hard that is and how long it takes. You know, it takes 10 years to build an overnight success. And I feel like for my dad, I felt like 20. Um, you know, um, so I saw that. And I think, I think from an early age, that bred quite a good sense of work ethic, you know, into me. I think from when I was young, actually 14, 15 is when I started looking for like weekend jobs or school holiday jobs just to try and to make... Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Hurstville, which yep. is Southwest yep. Sydney. Yep. Um, and I think you grew up in Bankstown, something uh, around, well, in that, around grew, that area? Not far from Hurstville. I, 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 I went to school in Bankstown, but I was more near, near an area called Nawi. Oh yeah, I know Nawi really well. Nawi, Riverwood. Yeah, or well, Penshurst. I say Hurstville, I actually grew up in Penshurst, yeah, so I know, yeah. I know Nawi really well. Um, and... Yeah, uh, so that, you know, I think over time, just the idea that, you know, money doesn't grow on trees and um, you've got to go out and earn it yourself, at least um, I think not didn't necessarily breed a sense of ambition per Were se. Were ambitious? Yeah, I think early on, I think I just wanted to find, you know, I was always eager to learn, try new things. I think, I think that's the kind of fundamentals of ambition, a good ambition in a lot of ways is try something different. Um, you know, and, and try to have an impact if you can, because um, those opportunities, uh, you know, don't always come up. I think that sense of just being grateful, I, I think, as well, and humble is a really important piece because, or you know, I the first people to admit, you know, these people from a finance background, a once in a lifetime opportunity to change an industry they were never a part of, um, we're the first people to admit this may be the only chance in our lives to take a swing this big. Mm. So we're giving everything we can and, not, and being realistic about that because, you know, those opportunities don't land in your lap every day. Yeah, well, and by the way, I'm going to apologise to our listeners in advance. I'm as sick as a dog, and uh, I've had that, you know, that maybe too much detail with the D's and V's or not. But I'm trying to keep energised for this because I find this very interesting. And and as usual, the show must go on. You got to turn up to these fucking things. You know, if you want to put yourself out there, you got to turn up. And um, and Dean was good enough to get in here today, so I'm here. So and I and I'm and I'm. And I'm going to drink my coffee slowly so I don't do a big puke all over the table. Go for it, mate. Yeah. No, I don't normally go for it. So, and 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 as I said earlier, I had met Dean a long, long time ago on the old Mark Boris show, which is the precursor to this show, which is where we were just um, trying to build our trying to build up this podcast. And it's interesting to see where Dean's at today, Dean Audrey, where at, where the, where they are at today. So. But I, I, I guess what I really need to know, Dean, and maybe it could have been Audrey for that matter, but she's not here to talk about it. She's sick too, isn't she? She is actually. It's, it's she's got the same like, thing as me. Exa- I feel like it sounds like it's the same. Yeah, it's no, spread it's, like wildfire. Yeah, it's all over the shop. Yeah, I know. Um, everyone's getting it. Um, so like, uh, 
I, I, but I, but I want to know from you, Dean, like, where was that moment in your life that you think there, there was a sort of a switch from being a kid growing up in Penzhurst, uh, going to school, probably watching a bit of footy, hanging out with your friends, probably enrolled to do some sort of course to become a financial planner, and then you, you just decided, shit, I can do this. Mm. When was that? I mean, yeah. do you remember it? You know what? I don't remember a specific a specific one, but I think as you, as you kind of described, there's perhaps a series of moments that can accumulate where it starts to become second nature, perhaps. Um, I was very lucky when I think about it. I remember my nan had told me um, that there was a scholarship test for a school um, in eastern suburbs. And, uh, and hey, give it a crack. You know, I'm a smart enough kid. Try it out. Um, and so I said, sure, Nan, sounds like a good idea. Um, and so I did that and I actually got it. So I got, I got a scholarship to a school in Eastern Suburbs and I had to travel a long way to school every day. Um, but I think that perhaps that one moment showed me, yeah, you can do it. If you give it a crack, had you not gone and tried it, you would have never known. Um, and then I think being at that school to keep that scholarship, you've got to keep your grades up. So I think that also created a sense of urgency in me that, you know, yeah, pressure to compete. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just don't, just don't fuck it up. Yeah, t- totally. So, so, so you, 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 I mean, I guess what you're saying is that at some stage or other, you can look back. You looked back. If you look back today, you can see that there was occasions where if you took a risk and you did something you thought you could do um, and just had a crack, that it would be successful. But in terms of this business, you didn't sort of think that for this business. I mean, where was the light? When did the light turn on that you and Audrey sitting there and you thought? Yeah, let's have a go at this. Did you leave a job to do this? Uh, not initially. I mean, kept kept my job because I had to keep paying yep. the bills. Yep. Um, and it's, uh, eventually, if you about a within a year, Audrey was able to at least. Um, and how uh, old were you? So we were twenty five, twenty six, right, mid twenties. That part of our lives when we actually were, were that customer, Audrey especially, kept having to buy a new item for every occasion because there's kind of social pressure to do so. But I think the light bulb moment for us is when we're thinking about doing the business and we asked people we knew, um, you know, have you ever borrowed clothing? Do you ever share clothing to solve this kind of problem? Well, girl, I don't know, sure, sure, but I think girls do that anyway. That was, that was the overwhelming answer. Yeah. Like our customer has been sharing clothing her entire life yeah. with her f- close friends and family, but kind of like how Uber didn't invent ride sharing or carpooling. It's been around a long time. Mm. They just introduced a technology to allow that community to come together and really act as a lubricant to that behaviour. So we realized the same. It's like, well, if this behavior is already there, it's an underlying thing. What if you just created a platform that allowed people to do it more? Maybe you could create, create a business out of it. And had a, a broader depth of things, an inventory, a broader depth of inventory and, uh, and, and made it much more accessible and uh, you know, more affordable and uh, probably more interesting too and not so specialized like the old Brett Parker. Mm. Days when you used to buy your after rent your after darker from Red Parker. S- he was onto something. It was a good yeah. yeah, no, no, I, no. I remember that when I was a kid growing up too. The, you know, you eighteen, nineteen year old, you rented your when rented your dinner suit from Brett Parker. So, so you and Audrey, was it you or Audrey thought of the idea? Or oh, was it, was that, it was absolutely Audrey. Yeah, yeah, she she should absolutely be taking full credit for that. Yeah. Um, so so one morning she woke up and she said to you, "Hey Dean, why don't we uh, set up this structure and start to." And pump these these items of clothing out to all, all our friends. So was it just friends in the beginning, or how'd you, how'd you work yeah. it? Well, it began with her wardrobe being crammed full of things she never used, and she was getting sick of that. In fact, it was starting to impose on my life, starting to fill up space in my wardrobe too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, so suddenly 
we said, look, we should give this a crack. Um, and that's where it did start, sat in our house. We set up a, you know, in our little study room, a rack full of clothing. And on a Facebook page, didn't even have a website yet, started inviting friends and family to just try it out. Try to convince people to pay for it too. That was really important. You give something away for free, you know, most of the time, if it's good, people will take it. Yeah. We had to try to try to figure out where does the pricing land and how does the economics of it land. Were you selling it or? Uh, no, we were renting it. Renting, renting it. it from the very beginning. What did you say? Uh, here's a red dress buck for the night. Yeah. No, no, we said, here's a, here's, here's a red dress. We bought it for 800 Could we rent it to you for 100 bucks? For the night or for the week? Or for for? A four, yeah, four days. For a few right. days. How yeah, long yeah. do you need it for? It turned yeah. out to be five days, which we've since been able to narrow to four days because it's an ad- asset utilization piece. Yeah. A day, an extra day adds up throughout a 12, 18 month period. Yeah. And do you work on some sort of matrix to say that um, um, this item will last me, should last us 10 wears and 10 washes? And do you work out the mathematics of it? In other words, that you get your eight hundred back plus a return. Do you? Oh, oh exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It has to earn its cost of capital within about ninety days. Right. Um, which for an asset leasing business, pretty damn good. Um, and it can last 12, 18 months. So we know on a field of kind of you know lines of ROI, we know within a month if something is on its on on track to perform, outperform, or underperform. And from there, we decide to buy more of it or to sell it off and recycle that capital into better performing assets. So so Dean and Audrey were sitting down, they probably didn't realise that they got a uh, tiger by the tail. Um, so at what <laughs> point did you realise you had a business? Yeah, I think we knew we had a business of a certain size within a few months, as in we saw people were really loving it. We realised that in Australia, at least the logistics network was sophisticated enough, we could do this. We could send an item out, get to a customer, get it back pretty easily. It was it had a degree of scale kind of baked in. We knew that we could create a really nice second income, which in the early days it was. We built it up, we got the business profitable, it had gotten to a certain size, we were quite happy with it. Um, but then it started around 2014, 2015, it really started to pick up steam. Maybe it was the sharing economy becoming more mainstream in everyone's lives. I'm not totally sure exactly what it was. Or maybe I think also the, we were a direct beneficiary of just the online retailing boom in general, I think was a good one. Um, that's, that's, what I, well, that's what I call a rising tide. So... You know, like if you can get involved in a business that is in a rising tide and the rising tide of um, online merchandising and sharing makes sense and you're, you're part of that rising tide. Mm. So you've got to you, – and if you, the, the closer you get to the beginning of the tide starting to rise, the better you do. So, um, you know, this there is a science at looking where the rising tides are mm. and this is one of them. And as you say, you know, like uh, um, building websites became cheaper and easier and, and far more um, – are more sophisticated delivery systems become much more reliable, and uh, you know there's a pretty much a a, a de rigueur, like a rigor, in terms of what delivery companies now expected to do in terms of time and quality delivery. They just don't throw the shit over the top of your fence. You know, there's a whole system built around that stuff. Mm. So they're all the rising tides that you and Audrey were able to take advantage of. Mm. You just had to make sure you got you knew about your customer. Absolutely. What the customer wanted in terms of the item. Mm-hmm. So, who sat down and worked out how to build the website? Like, how did that all work? Because that, that's a critical part. That's your marketplace. Yep. Where people, you know, virtually walk in there and select what it is they want. I mean, do, do, if I'm looking for the red dress, does it, is it is there a model in there with it on there? How does it all work? Yeah, we so 
to begin with, uh, as I said, we kind of began on this kind of Facebook page. Yep. And that's where we began. That's kind of at least told us in terms of merchandising, what kind of products start well, to fly. Well, tell me how you merchandise it on Facebook. What, what did you do? Yeah, it was really hit and miss early on. Um, but Audrey was the core customer, so I think that helped, as in she was not mer- merchandising for herself per se, but she had had that problem so many times over the last two years. She had a good sense for what it, what's the problem I'm solving for this customer? What kind of clothing is she buying and and never getting full value out of? Um, so they're the ones we started with. That's hit and miss though. I think early merchandising was like in the, tr- the traditional sense, a bit of a scattergun as in you line up a bunch of products, the ones that stick, you try to get back into faster. Or anecdotal. Yeah. You just say, oh, that worked. Exactly. As opposed to sort of, yeah, not data driven, but it's sort of data driven. Yeah. You sort of say, oh, that worked, but it wasn't metrically yeah. measured. And it was deliberate. I mean, at a small scale, that's the idea. It so was, how many items did you start off on Facebook with, like 50 items? Or it like, was less. It was like 20. 20 items. Yeah, and mainly floor-length ball gowns because that's a typical example. Right, you right. Just never, you know you'll never wear it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you well, know you're, you're not allowed to because someone will remember that, remember that you wore that last time that they saw you and they go, what the hell are you doing? Like, oh, exactly. that shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's especially when Facebook and Instagram were starting to have that pressure on people's lives that you especially now, your social circle wasn't just your immediate friends. It was four or 500 people you've met in the last few years who will, who will notice if you've well, worn the you same take one twice. fucking photo, man, and it yeah, ends up a, a thousand people going to look at it and they're going to say, I remember that dress. Yeah. Um, and, okay, and uh, so you start off with a few items and then what was the next big step? Like, uh, I mean, I presume you guys uh, uh, funded this all yourselves we from did. the beginning? Yep. Pretty much every dollar we had. Yeah, so you kept your day job. Yeah, that's right. And I keep saying to everybody, like, don't stop your day job until the, the, the your hustle, your side hustle starts to make enough money that you can quit your day job. That's right. That's right. And not many people get that. Um, so you kept your day job, had your side hustle, kept building it up. At what point did you sort of, do you reckon you sort of started to play in a scale? In other words, maybe Audrey decided to leave her day job. Where yeah. was that? It was probably about six, 12 months in when we noticed there was regular customers coming back within a month or so each time and starting to make that part of their wardrobe kind of outsourced to us. We said, wow, that is a big opportunity. And the growth lever becomes how big can the wardrobe get? Like any other asset leasing business, you know, a bank can only lend out technically so much that they have on the book in terms of deposits or, or, or wholesale money. So we said, wow, that's, that's the same thing. So we started just incrementally add layers to the merchandising, more of those products, experimentation, trying to find our ways into other lines. Um, and that's what you need to have a certain amount of capital for. That's also where we were spending money, where some of it had a phenomenal return, some of it it was a complete waste of money, but it was almost like that was part of the R and D of getting the mm. formula right. We just had, that's money that had to be spent f- to calibrate. Otherwise, we were never going to get it there. And so, as we f- that found product market fit, I think within six twelve months, that first stage of you rent an item, what does that product look like? What does the service look like? What does the pricing mechanics look like compared to retail? And that makes a lot of sense for people. So then it was about how do we get that in front of more customers? How do you kill them? Yeah. You had to build up awareness. And and uh, where'd the name Glam Corner come from? Yeah, we, we, I mean, early on, you don't give, I think if you give too much time to a name, some people kind of think of a cool name and build a business around that. We, it was actually early feedback from customers too, because this initial Facebook page was not called that. Um, what was it called? Oh, I think it was just kind of Dress Rental Sydney. Right. Dress Rental It was something really generic, yeah. which would be very narrow now compared to what the business has evolved to. So I'm glad that didn't become the business name. Our customers kept saying back, consistent feedback was um, how many compliments they received 
and how glamorous they felt. And right. they never had a chance to feel that glamorous. We realised that's what we're renting that customer. We're renting her that feeling, yeah. even for a short amount of time. And Corner was just about destination. Like it's a, it was an online destination. It was a kind of a secret little corner of the internet where our customer could come and kind of, you know, um, kind of find a life hack to her wardrobe. And so that's where Glam Corner kind of came together and that's what stuck. And that's what our, our customers built an affection for. We, you know, you realize when a bunch of customers leave reviews, I love Glam Corner. They, they love the brand that they had rented and they're like, that, that particular label was great. But I love Glam Corner for solving this for me. And we're like, wow, that's really striking a nerve in, in a really powerful way. So we knew we had something there. It's a, number, it's a name that people remembered. And so and it, stayed, it stayed that way. And it's, it's, it's evolved. Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's a good name. It's a good name. Okay, well, we've got to go to the break because I've got to talk to my sponsors. But um, when we come back from the break, um, I want to talk to you. You just hit on something very important. Two things really important to me. Um, you talked about your customers having affection for your brand. Um, you talked about the next stage of building notoriety. And, of course, all great brands are built on notoriety and affection. So I want to talk to you about that. And the other thing you, you said that was very important was that um, when you were choosing the name, you um, worked out or you'd made the decision of why you're in business. Um, in other words, you weren't, you weren't renting out clothing items. You are giving people a sense of feeling glamorous. And, uh, and so we want to get back to those because they're, they're fundamentals. They're basics to me. And they're basics that most people who are listening to this need to identify up early in terms of their name and in terms of how they promote their business and in terms of what their business stands for. Okay, well, here we are. As usual, every week I sit down and I speak to our CEO from mentor.business. That's our business selling arm. We sell people's businesses and we help people buy business as well. And that's Matt Holland. And Matt is going to showcase one of the businesses that we have for sale this week. So, Matt, what do you got, mate? Thanks, Mark. Got a bakery this week. It's just uh, just hit the market. It's um, it's a great opportunity for somebody to take over from um, from a young couple that have built this from nothing. Uh, they purchased about two years ago. The business at that point was was uh, supplying uh, into the wholesale supermarket chains, and then what they found was that um, it, it was really tough going because the um, supermarkets basically they won't pay for anything they don't use. So there was a lot of wastage and a lot of losses in this business. So what he's done is he's gone in there and he's turned it around, and he, he's kind of uh, he's specialist. He's now a specialist in a particular boutique, you know, burger buns and hot dog buns and so on. And he's look, this guy's growing at three hundred percent wholesale. Is he, all he's wholesaler. Absolutely, all wholesale, no retail at all. Uh, he switched that off, and and the best part about that is there's no early start, so he's actually got a later start. Sleeps in in the morning, and um, and he works a little bit later in the evenings. Oh, that's actually a good one, actually, in terms of not having to start early. Because I once worked for a baker, and I used to have to start at like two in the morning, and I've always thought that's one of the worst parts of being a baker, having to get up so early. Mind you, you've got the whole day to. Do the rest of whatever you want to do, but you can't actually have a drink on Friday night because you've got to bake on Saturday usually. So, okay, so we've got a wholesale baker who specialises in wholesaling burger buns and hot dog buns and things like that. So obviously he's pretty bloody good at it. And what sort of money are we talking about? Is it sort of is it affordable or are we above a million or below a million for the We're below price? a million dollars and, look, profits are growing. Now, this is something that's been growing month to month. So, you know, we really have to look at this business to see what it's been doing over the last three or six months rather than on a you know annual basis. 
But um, look, it, it's three hundred percent growth per annum. He's making about three hundred fifty thousand. If we look at wow, what is um, what he's doing right now in the last quarter, uh, and I said most of his work is contracting, and and he's supplying. His typical client would be a small to medium franchise, uh, you know, in that, in that group. So he's not he's not reliant on uh, any particular business. He's got a good spread of clients. And just just before I, I should have mentioned that he's he's not a baker. This guy is actually coming in from sales, so he has no baking experience. He's got a good team there, and he's just he's real about social media, building up his. Uh, okay, so we've got a baker wholesaling, making good bloody bloody great money. He's not a baker, so you don't need to be a baker. You can be an investor in this business. Sydney, where is it? Where are we? Sydney, Western suburbs. Sydney, Sydney West suburbs. Sounds like a great business. Is a good one for sale. So if you've got a business for sale, come and talk to us at mentor.business, and in particular, come and talk to Matt, who's sitting right here, here opposite me. Or if you're going to buy a business, come look on our website and have a look at what we've got for sale. But this week, we are showcasing our baker in the Western suburbs of Sydney, and it's a ripper. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Mark. Okay, I'm back here with Dean Jones from Glam Corner, and unfortunately his wife and business partner uh, can't be here because you've got the same thing as me. Audrey, I wish you all the best. No doubt you'll be listening to this. What we talked about before the break was something really important to me. It's a fundamental. It's a non-negotiable. Dean said we worked out when we were going to give the business a name or change the name from whatever it was to Glam Corner was that the sense of after doing research and whether it's anecdotal or just listening to people, that they felt that moment of, moment of being glamorous. Um, I, I need to understand that's your why. I mean, that's an important thing. It's not about money. It's not about ease of subscription. They're all little bits on the side. It's about people feeling glamorous. Whether they buy it or rent it, they still like to feel glamorous, in particular women in this case. How long did it take you to work out your purpose your business's purpose? Mm. It must have been... It has evolved too over time. Yep. Um, it was definitely in that first six to 12 months where we were we were just... We weren't focused on building a, a business of a certain size. We were trying to figure out if we had a business idea at all and did it stick. Um, the only way to do that was to, first of all, speak to our customers as much as we could. Um, and we still try to do that as much as we can. Um, and to to calibrate offerings for that customer or think of ideas that maybe they haven't thought about yet. Because in that feedback loop, people tell you things, even if they don't tell you directly, you do hear things. When you think back to something someone said, you say, well, they, what they're really talking about is they want a bit more of this. And try to get that in front of them and get that feedback. Um, I think that was really important within that first six, six, six 12 months. So, so, and what is this uh, emotional need and demand that you're supplying to, um, I, mean, I don't know whether you've actually thought this through, you may not have, but help me out here. What's this emotional need and or demand that you're supplying to that is the sense of feeling glamorous for a woman at either at work or at an event or whatever it happens to be? What, do, do you have a sense of this or is it mm. better put to your data people? No, absolutely. I think um, our, our customers tell us all the time, feeling glamorous, so that, that, that feeling of happiness there's a lot of words that come from that or ways of feeling that, that are great. Um, there's a sense of confidence. There's a sense of a better a version of discovering a better version of herself or being the best version of herself she can be. Um, it's really funny. I think we guys, maybe we're a bit lucky. I think what we wear every day doesn't have as much of an impact on our bearing. Well, we, we wear uniforms you know? all the time. Yeah. That we're, we just wear uniforms. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. And maybe that's what creates our, our, our bearing. But I think what we found for our customer is 
what she wears every day has a big impact on her on a big impact on her sense of self, who she identifies as, the confidence she has every day, what she brings to work, her, her and the people, the interaction she has every day. Um, so glamorous was a really important word to her um, in terms of its connection to a lot of other things and, and her overall kind of just happiness and well being. So uh, that, and so and and there and thereby is born the name Glam Corner. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great name, particularly when you think of the reason why you're in, why you are in business or what is it that you are trying to supply. What emotional thing are you an emotional fundamental are you trying to supply to? And I, because that's where demand comes from. Demand comes from that place in people's minds in a collective. The collective emotions that everybody has a demand for is what you supply, as opposed to we're in the rag trade, we're in the uh, garment leasing business. Yeah. Because that doesn't tell me anything. And that that's great. I, I think our audience, our listeners must think about this stuff really deeply you know, because it's so important. It doesn't have to happen day one. As you said, Dean, it evolved over time. And, and it evolved not by you making the decision, but by people telling you. Mm-hmm. And effectively all you're doing is collecting the the data that other people are telling you during that process and then all you did was articulate it. You just put a sentence under it as to what the data told you. Mm. Big mistake a lot of people make is they say, everybody needs this and they go out and tell everybody what they need and a lot of times these businesses fail. And, and uh, I think you've, that's a great, great thing you guys have done. It's fantastic. The second thing that is really important Well, I wanted to revisit this is this sense of um, affection um, you said to me earlier on that people loved your business, loved what they, loved the feeling they got out of it. Mm. Talk to me about affection. How important is affection in terms of building Glam Corner? Yeah, I think similar, similar to. Um, sorry, let me go back to um, affection for our customer um, is is partially related to removing the burden of ownership. Um, that she currently has. Uh, so it's about removing a negative as much as it is creating a positive. We know that our customer is actually, I guess to a certain point in her life, where her wardrobe gets so full of clothes, especially with a trend of cheap disposable clothing. Yeah, totally. Look at all these retailers now sell stuff at 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Yeah, five bucks. Yeah, like uh, what, what's that one called? Um, what's that big one called? They're in Australia now, Zara. Mm-hmm. You can go and buy stuff for like a tenth of the price you can buy in all the glamorous joints. Yeah. And I think the basis, the, the, the fundamental basis for, the, for that business is that you wear it a few times, it doesn't matter if you lose it or, you know, give it away or whatever. That's right. And I think the reason why those international businesses have grown so much in Australia is at least they solve a need for having a fresh new look for mm. a really cheap price. I think that's just that customer responding to that need in her life. The problem is, though, it creates a real hangover in her life that her wardrobe is crammed full of stuff that she never uses um, and starts to feel a sense of frustration um, or even, um, you know, uh, a bit a degree of stress in her life about that, particularly the impact that she's having on the environment. Um, our customer has learnt more and more that, you know, um, it can... It, Basically, Australians throw away six tons of clothing every 10 minutes. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's a huge amount, a huge amount of waste. It's and like these throwing... organisations I just talked about, I'm not going to put shit on them, but like they're part of it. Absolutely. I mean, they're producing stuff that just gets dumped. Absolutely. And the end customer is, is figuring that out. 
with the degree, they feel a bit guilty about it. In the same way you feel guilty about throwing away good food. So you don't, I mean, therefore you don't throw it away, you keep it in your wardrobe and it just clogs up your wardrobe. And the way people live today is they live in smaller apartments and apartments are built smaller with a smaller amount of storage. And every time they move, because a lot of these individuals are you know, moving you know, every 12 months or every 18 months or whatever it is, and they've got to move a whole lot of shit they don't even wear. But they feel too guilty to throw it away. Exactly. And that creates this huge stress in the I got life. fucking t-shirts like that, man. I got my wardrobe full of yeah, t-shirts. Exactly. And I keep looking and thinking, I'm going to throw that shit away. Yeah. But I don't want to because I feel like I'm being wasteful. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And that's how our customer feels as well at a, at a huge scale and it builds up. So what's really interesting is in the last few years, we've seen a huge trend of decluttering your life. And someone like Mari Kondo has, has coined a term, you know, spark joy in your life by decluttering all those things that you, you have this burden of ownership on from clothing to furniture to you name it. Um, so that has created an affection is in we've sold that for that customer and they feel like, well, they feel like, thank you. They're like, relieved. They feel relieved, exactly. And they get, you take the guilt away too. So that, I think that's really important. If you can um, eliminate some form of guilt in terms of transactions from people, I think that's really important um, because guilt's, guilt, guilt can be burdensome. You know, and I, what I mean by guilt is, wow, if I throw it away, uh, I'm going to cause a problem for the environment. Um, or, wow, I've paid money for that. I can't just ditch it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we grew up in this guilt environment, which is fair enough too, by the way, you know, or I worked really hard. I had to spend, work for two weeks to buy that item. Mm. Um, you, you know, like that's like it was 126th of your year. Yeah. And that's like uh, 5% of your year, your working life for the year. <laughs> that's mad. Like you can't throw away something. I, th- I think that that guilt piece is really good. I mean, I really like that. Um, and I, And I wonder whether or not you're um, data now, because I imagine your data is fairly sophisticated these days. You can dig in and really do great analysis. Mm. Um, does it sort of does the data stack up around all these um, concepts that we're talking about? Absolutely. Yep. Um, so we know we have a lot of data. So from from our own site, behavioural data, from clicks to amount of time spent on the site, right through to th- you know open source data that's available. Um, publicly, like we could tell you who are the top forty labels in Australia by search volume. I mean, you know, we just we know that we've done it for some time. Um, what does stack up is we know that if our average item, because it's designer made, it's a very high quality, and we we cl- we clinically clean it between wears to good as new. Um, our average item gets rented about twenty times before it's no longer as good as new. So arguably that's 19 other times it never had to get manufactured in the first place. There's 19 other items you'd have to get manufactured to solve the same amount of demand. That's a 95% reduction in the inputs required satisfy the same amount of demand, consuming the same thing at the end. And so at a big level, macro level, those numbers stack up. Um, and at a micro level, finding the right product, earning a, a, as, a, as, a, as a renting business, earning a really healthy multiple on our money in 12, 18 months. The margins stack up better than online retail because asset leasing businesses, providing you know how to finance the working capital, the margins can be really good. Um, so the data has been stacking up quite well for us on, on, on that side of things. And you make good money out of the residual too. So, I mean, that's where a yep. lot of rental people make most, most of that. But the residual being after you've recovered your costs, um, mm. If you, whatever you get back after that is just clean profit. Yep. I mean, so the the game here is buying, and buying quality things that last longer. Things that are going to last longer, not only in a physical sense in terms of being washed and cared for, but also buying things that, um, in a fashion sense, last longer. So, how do you solve all that shit? Yeah. Well, I mean, the residual. I think you're you're right. What's so interesting about us is these are products that are designer boutique grade. 
within a few months, they sell out. They're gone. Couldn't buy them if you tried. You so mean we, at the shop? Yeah, at yeah, the retail right. level. Like, they're gone. Um, so we find you put them back out in the market 18 months later and they disappear. There's certain labels that people, there's, spe- there's special Facebook groups of, of people who stick together to just swap and buy, sell a particular label. Um, so we find that residual, uh, you know, disappears quite quickly. Um, and so that that's never been a problem for us so far. The really interesting thing on the data side is this kind of trend machine. I think especially that fast fashion has manufactured. There's a new trend or a new colour, a new style every month. Is that right? No, no. We have a lot of data show it's definitely not the case. We right. have we have certain products, styles, labels, classics. Are you going to say the? Is that we going to say oh, classics as yeah. opposed to fashion? No, no. Exactly. Well, there's evergreen styles, yes, that right. are always in, in in vogue. I mean, you know, White's a black floor length ball yeah, gown. Black, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're busy. They're busy all year round. Yeah. But there's certain styles that were hot, were a hot item six twelve months ago, but that we see are popular at the same time every year three years in a row. But they were the hot item. What's interesting is we collect that data because we hold on to the, the products for long enough. We share that with the labels too because sometimes there's real pressure on designer labels to create something new and not not reinvent what you made last season because that's not cool. Um, it actually creates a, a lot of waste because there's a lot of guesswork there and they have to really just try a lot of things and see what sticks. Risk. And a huge amount of risk for them, which is why they're, they're really happy when we can share back with them some data to at least kind of narrow the field a little. We say, what do you look, get back for that? Do you get some sort of discount? I mean, do they look after you guys? We 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 buy a lot now, so we get pretty good wholesale So pricing. what would you buy in a year? Like, I mean, maybe a year's yeah. not the right thing, but like in a season. Our open to buy this year is, is in the multi-millions. Yeah. We, we, from some labels, we're buying in certain drops, you know, hundreds of thousands per drop. So would you, would you buy like, um, were you sort of going to buy... 500 of a particular item? Uh, we, it's funny. We actually end up having to buy a little bit less. So we buy, in certain styles, we'll buy in the dozens, but for certain labels, we'll buy, you know, hundreds of items from them every season. And did you buy retail? I mean, where, where do you buy? I mean, I don't know. Where do you buy the stuff from? Do you... We buy it wholesale. 90% yeah. of what we buy, we buy wholesale. Right. Um, we buy retail or clearance retail. So you don't buy from Dave Jones? No, sometimes we do tactically, and that's fine. I mean, we, we, we're like any other customer there. More throughout the season, if we find we've run out of something or something's been damaged, pardon me, we'll buy retail if, um, if we don't want to let the customer down, but somehow we've lost, the item's got lost in the mail. We'll go right. buy it for her and get it to her. So we do, we buy 90% wholesale from the labels like everyone else. And the labels, what does it mean? Oh, from the designer brands. Right. So, you know, there's, especially the Australian designer fashion scene really punches above its weight Does it? globally. Fantastic names like Rebecca Valance, Alice McCall, Camilla Franks, Alex Perry. Like These names have been around and are international names, building fantastic world-grade designer product here locally in Australia. Um, and so we buy direct from these people um, because they... It's taken us a few years to show this to a few of the bigger names, but we're creating an incremental revenue opportunity for their brand because our customer was never shopping yeah. Alice McCall at David Jones for 600 bucks. Mm. She was going to Topshop for 60 bucks. So our customer is in that price point. So suddenly we make their brand relevant at that price point. On a rental basis, you don't get to own the brand, um, but for this customer, she's less attached to ownership anyway. So how do you work out your price? So I think that's important. Like, uh, how, how how did you and how do you work out the price at which you you? What's the market demand? How do you work mm. out the price for demand? Yeah, it's got to be first of all uh, a reference point to where where would it be if you bought it retail? Like yep. if you rent a car. Let's or say thousand bucks. Yeah. So if if you could buy it retail a thousand bucks, you can rent it from us about a hundred, hundred and fifty. Is so, it is it is it a formula? Yeah. So yep. about ten. We we target 
10-15% of the retail price. Right. Um, if we can buy it wholesale for 500 after about three rentals, we've earned our capital back. Sometimes that takes about 90 days. Sometimes that takes three days. Right. Um, so we've gotten, we've gotten good at, at identifying that stuff early. And how are you doing that when you say you've gotten good at it? Is it, is it just data science? A bit of, yeah, data science, just some plain just financial discipline around getting, getting the information faster to go, um, is this asset hemorrhaging money or is it paying for itself? But is that like, is it, are you small enough still to sit down and make that sort of decision mm. or is it someone in your business makes that decision? We have, we have, we have team members now. Um, so we have an internal accountant, we have a data science team, we have software engineers. We have about 60 people on the payroll now. Yep. Um, it was me though, like the, the formula, especially on that side of things was me. Yep. Early on, there was no one else yep. who would have uh, a degree of paranoia around, is this, is this stuff making its money back fast enough? Yep. You find out pretty fast if it isn't. Um, you know, but it, you know, in the end it was, which was great. Um, so no, the, the early days of how we did our asset utilization analysis, we then b- built our software engineering team to build databases around it. We built um, a business intelligence tool on top of it that can create nice dashboards for the merchandising team, for the marketing team. So suddenly we make sure the best products get in front of customers faster and are being priced. That's the next stage for us is actually pricing mechanics because rental, it's kind of like hotel rooms and flight bookings. You can adjust the price a little. Yeah. For us, if something is really popular and we don't have enough of it, the price will just gravitate up a little because it's just supply and demand. Style. Exactly, yeah. yeah so, so do, do you, do you um, make suggestions then? Does your website know that um, Mary down the road likes to wear red, long red dresses made out of satin or something? And then um, you just start to offer her suggestions. It does. Yep. They're not as sophisticated as we'd like them to be yep. yet. So we've got a machine learning programmer yep. now doing really basic machine learning programming, um, getting the data stack right so the data quality is good enough to do good quality machine learning. And machine learning can be really basic formulas too. It doesn't have to be formulas, you know, this yep. long. Because um, in the end, it's not about doing machine learning because it's cool. We want to do machine learning because if we can pr- get a – what our customer is looking for in front of her faster, that's better for her. Mm. We want to be better at saying this, you know, a lot of people who are you know, your size, um, who live you know, in your postcode, our customers have to give the postcode because it affects shipping times and availability, but also helps us just understand our demographic trends a bit better. Um, so our, our website does recommend products um, based on customers' behavior. Do you do it through your social to that? Oh, there's retargeting through social, yes. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, we're going to run a short time here, Dan, which is a punish, but um, I do want to talk about your social. Mm-hmm. So, because obviously um, brand building is not only about um, affection, it's about notoriety. Um, um, clearly, you've got a lot of referral work. I mean, people would be doing, telling their mate about this and et cetera. Yeah. But what do you guys do in terms of social? Social. So it's funny, especially about the referral piece. When we talk about social media, we're not just on Instagram and Facebook. Social commerce can come in a lot of forms. Early on, we introduced a refer a friend mm-hmm. engine. So if you refer a friend uh, and gift them with $20 of store credit for their first booking, if they make that booking, you get $20 of store credit. That still comprises like 5% of sales for us years on. We did a little bit of work on it and it's, it's they're 5% incremental, but 5 to 10% of sales is coming from people who've been referred from a friend who's already a customer. And that just keeps building. It's just... It hasn't stopped in three years. Um, so there's that side of social commerce, trying to enable our customers to be our biggest fans. Um, and in terms of the rest of our social media, our focus is actually always try to be on our customers. We've never tried to be about, look at us, look at us, look how, look how smart we are, look how good we are building this business. We've always tried to put our customers front and center and say, let them 
tell other people about why they use our service, why this is great for them. Um, on our YouTube, actually, we recently did a series interviewing our customers, asking them exactly that question. The real life stories. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we found was... And how long is it, how long does a YouTube episode go for? Uh, it, it varies, uh, probably between two, three minutes, up to some of them, 10 minutes. Okay, for those people listening, I mean, you've got to be careful with YouTube. You don't want to make it too long because people will just clock out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so two, three minutes is your sweet spot? Two, three minutes is pretty good. Yep. It's funny, you get a, a huge amount of engagement for like the 10-second videos. Then it kind of drops off to this valley to two or three minutes, and then it drops off again. There's some yeah, people who do it like... It's right out. Yeah, there's some people who like to watch for 10 minutes, but it's not everybody. Not many. Yeah. Not many, but a few. But it's still, you still need to have, have that in your suite. Because you know you don't lose anybody if you can if you can hold them, and what you got to do is make sure you hold. You got to deliver to those who like to listen to ten seconds. Mm. You got to give them exactly what they want in the ten seconds as well. It's, it's a bit of an art. Um, it, it, so your 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 marketing program is Instagram, Facebook, referral systems, your website, obviously, mm. um, YouTube. Yep. So you're pretty much using everything. Yep, absolutely. Actually, the biggest one is search. I think people shouldn't underestimate search. Yep. Social is really important for building a community yep. um, and having that relationship with your customers. I'd be, I, I, it wouldn't be true to say we've built our business on social media because it's been a part of it, um, but a big part has been search where we're stocking a lot of very high quality designer brands that a lot of people are looking for. And if you stock a lot of good quality merchandise and you do best practice search engine optimization. So you're saying what, what we're talking about here for those people listening is um, – I, I, I want to hire a Zara address. I'm the only bloody brand I know, so sorry I keep yep. saying Zara. I'm ready to promote Zara, that's for sure. Um, uh, hire a Zara, rent a Zara address. Yep. Is that, is that right? Or even just searching for the brand. So if our customer was searching for this particular brand, who, who she saw, maybe she saw on social media and really aspires to wear, she will discover in searching that, that yes, you can buy it, but it's also available for rent. Mm. That's really powerful for us in terms of- And you want to be the place to land on. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where web is good for discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having an app is great for retention and all that, but for yep. discovery, it's really hard to beat Google on what they can deliver on that. So I would never underestimate that. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yep. And um, we've got the wind-up. So um, what that means is um, I've asked enough questions, um, and usually I have the opportunity, I, and usually I give you the opportunity to ask me one question. So yep. maybe it sounds like you've got your shit together here, mate. So you probably don't have a question for me, but... What one question would you ask me? And I do note here, but I think our listeners got to note that you have gone through capital raising and you, you have the Etri Ventures guys in there. So anyway, what's your one question? Because in every, I, should, I just want to go back. I mean, you haven't done this all on your own in more recent years because, yeah, you know, right. every business needs capital and, um, and I'm sure the Etri Ventures guys are very happy with this and they're one of our big uh, VC, um, you know, uh, investors in this country. Mm. What's your one question, Dean? Sure thing. Um, I'll also say, you know, the Etrigar has been great, great business partner. And if, if for anyone out there, for what it's worth, if you need the external capital and you just want, and you've got a strategic opportunity and you need to strike and you just want to win, sometimes bringing in the right business partner with the right connections and capital can help you get there faster because that window may be only open for so long. And don't sit around thinking, oh, I've got to give away 20% or I've got to do 25% as to, to not, you know, it's too much, et cetera, because that might be the last opportunity you ever get. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're looking at hundreds of deals every week. That's right. I mean, since they, since the Etri guys came in, our business is 60 to 70 times the size it was. So right. I, th I think that was a good business decision that we made. Yeah. And, they'd and, been, they'd and been, how'd you meet the Etri Ventures guys? Um, I met them, I think. Was it a pitch day? I, it, maybe it was a pitch day or I think I came across Craig. I think someone had, I, I think when I was working in finance, a headhunter who, who, who um, you know, always said to me, hey, these people are recruiting. 
said, hey, these guys are recruiting, maybe worth a chat. And because we had a startup, I wanted to meet met Craig. I think I said as a, as a job interview, but really I just wanted to meet him to get us on their radar. And that's what I don't think he was interested in meeting Well, they're a, a great partner because they're sitting yeah. behind the, the likes of companies like Prosper, et cetera, at the moment, which are looking at massive, massively big market capitalization businesses. So yeah. what do you want to question, mate? Exactly, mate. The, the question I got is, and I thought, I thought about this a lot because I've only got one shot to ask you, it would be when it comes to people, it's, you know, I think we, we've had a lot of success and that's been great. We still, it still gets very difficult when it comes to hiring the right people. Um, when I look at some big failures we've made over the last few years, a lot of the, uh, the ones that really stand out for me is hiring the wrong people that, you know, hurt us or set us back in some way. I think we're very lucky we've been growing so much. Maybe it gets, it falls out in a wash. You don't notice, but it's there. I feel like when we've hired the wrong people, even though we've taken the right advice of hire slow, take the time to check they're going to be a cultural fit, et cetera. You do all those things, you tick all those boxes and someone starts in a role and maybe the first month really starts to nail it. But within three months, you realize it's not working. You try to adjust it, try to calibrate it. And then six months later, you're going to make a difficult decision. My question is, what have you found? Like, have you built a better intuition for, you know, when is it, when, what are the signals for you where you realize I'm not doing myself or this person any favors to perhaps say, maybe this role isn't working out and, and call it sooner. Cause I always find we've taken too long to do it. Yeah, well, I, I, look, okay. like it's 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 no secret in my business businesses, and I've often been criticised in the media for this. Um, through the media, uh, I have people have haven't lasted with me, and of course, you know, I ran that TV show called The Apprentice, and where I was actually telling people they were fired. So, um, I it is intuition based from my point of view, and I, I I've often thought to myself, there's a business in this, um, and that somebody could start building algorithms whereby someone like you could. Um, plot within the algorithm all the various inputs and probably come out with an answer about somebody over time. Mm. But for me, at the end of the day, it's just my intuition. Businesses grow faster and beyond individuals a lot. For me, it's kill fast. So if I have to, if I have to get rid of somebody, I kill them fast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better. I just front up, tell them, look, it's not working out. You've got to move on. And I, and I, I, that sounds really cold-hearted and it sounds like an episode of The Apprentice. It's not. It's a reality. You've got to do it. I mean, I, it, whether it's in politics or whether it's in um, a business, big businesses or small businesses, the same thing exists. I don't believe in the loyalty card. I just don't believe in it. Um, today, businesses, especially new businesses, move so fast that you, have, you can't be sitting there with the wrong person in the role because you'll end up having sometimes monumental errors. The business will suffer monumentally. So business if business moves fast, if systems move fast, your intuition has to be equally as fast in terms of the way you respond to how you feel about somebody. And I think still believe that that feeling, which has never been put into some sort of um, machine learning, mm-hmm. <laughs> your intuition is the most powerful thing and you just listen to it and do it quick. Mm-hmm. I the see your business where it started from and where it evolves to within a six month period is vastly different to where it was six months ago, and the individual you, you chose six months ago, unless he he or she grows with the business in the same way, and I don't mean grow in terms of work time they can work, but in terms of the thing that they can offer to the business, mm. and what they got offered to the business is what the business demands. It's not what, oh, we know this person's a really great finance person or this person's got 25 years' experience in this industry. It's largely irrelevant. It's what the business is demanding at the time, irrespective of their experience, irrespective of how nice a person they are, irrespective of the loyalty they've showed you. Mm. You've got to just 
get the right person for what the business demands at the time. And unfortunately, you just got to nail them if they're not the right person. And I do it. I do it all the time. I get criticised about it. And people still keep saying to me, you keep changing your mind. You just cop it on the chin. Because at the end of the day, you got to do the right thing by your shareholders Mm -hmm. and your customers. Mm -hmm. And and ultimately yourself. And by the way, if you if you kill it quick, you're doing the right thing by the person that you've done it to. Mm. So, I, I I always get sitting and give an opportunity. It's not a warning or a performance review. It's not that. I just sit and have a frank conversation. I say, look, the business is where the business is going. Is what the business demands. Can you do it? Mm. And if you can't, tell me now. But like in one month's time, if I don't feel as though you're doing it, you're gonna have to go. Yep. Straight up. Mm. It's no. There's no nothing personal. No reflection on the individual. It's a tough call. It's a big decision, but it's an important one. Mm. Thanks, Mark. That definitely answered that for me, mate. Good on you, Dean. Good to see you, mate. You too, mate. And I hope Audrey gets better really quickly. Me too. We can't live without her. <laughs> <laughs> see you, mate. Thank Thanks you. very much. Cheers. 